What's up everyone? This is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. Today I'm doing something totally different. I'll get into it, but I interviewed Bradley Tusk to get a deeper understanding of what makes him tick as a human being and effective professional. I'm sharing the full interview here because I think a lot of the things he discussed are relevant for a lot of people. If you don't have the time to listen to the whole interview right now, no sweat. Bookmark it for later and move on to our shorter daily tip, which, as you know, keep on coming. But without further ado, my interview with Bradley Tusk. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. we got a very special guest on today, and his list of accomplishments go far beyond the scope of this segment, but I'm just going to quickly introduce him. His name is Bradley Tusk, and he's been instrumental in a few different political campaigns. He practices law, but most notably, he spends his time at the intersection of business and politics as a startup strategist. So, for example, he worked early on with Uber to make their idea compliant with the law, and more recently, He's working with Bird, an electric scooter startup, which you can find all over major cities to do the same. So, Bradley, thanks so much for being on the show. I know that you recently wrote a book called The Fixer, Saving Startups from Death by Politics, and I'm super interested to learn more about you and everything that you're about uh, and kind of the culmination of your experience and why you created that book. So thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Cool. So... Um, as we kind of talked about earlier, but you know, this is self-improvement daily in the spirit of personal development. I'm interested to hear more about the man behind the title, you know, the different rituals, personal maintenance techniques, things that you do yeah. that have gotten you to the point where you're at today. Cause obviously that list of accomplishments is impressive. Um, so I guess to kind of just jump right into it first, what, what makes you, you, you know, what kind of, what is, what's your, you know, at your core, it's, 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 it's interesting because I think this is something I've only, I'm 45 and something else I've only realized in the last year or two, which is, um, when I am, when I kind of do me, right, whether that's personal or professional throughout my life, it works really well. When I try to insert myself into some sort of pre-existing structure, never works out at all. Right. And I think, especially to the kind of person where you realize that like your, your worldview is a little different than most people and you know, you, maybe you're not fitting in into the normal situations. Um, the first thing is to try to figure out how to make yourself fit in. And then eventually, hopefully you realize, you know, if I just act the way that makes sense to me and feels right to me, uh, it, it tends to work much better. And so the first thing I would say is like, I've come to understand who I am, accept it, believe in it and, and, and go with it. And that, that's actually a, a relatively recent phenomenon in terms of fully Understanding all of it, it's probably been happening over a 25 year period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so that's that's probably number number one. Sure. Could you give an example of something that you know you kind of realized? Yeah, about to- yourself? totally. I mean, look, I, mean, I think about like you know my venture fund is the first fund ever to invest in a work with startups at the intersection of tech and politics, and it was a really hard fund to raise because everyone said. That's not a type of venture capital. You can't do that. Uh, you know, you should go work at Kleiner Perkins or you should go, you know, all of these traditional things. I said, I believe this is where my interest lies, my skill set lies. Um, I could add real value and I'm going to pursue it. And thank God I did because we raised the fund and it's done incredibly well. Or right now, out of my foundation, I'm trying to create uh, mobile voting so people can vote on election, elections on their phones over the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And the same thing. Everyone's telling me it's too dangerous, hacking, you can't do it. But I know from my own experience that if 10 times more people vote, politicians will be forced to represent the mainstream instead of people out the fringes. And so I'm going to do it. And I'm putting a lot of my own money into it and a lot of my own time into it. Um, so basically, it's, it's knowing the things that you believe in and you're good at 
and having the confidence to push through what everyone tells you you can. Interesting. That's a, yeah, that's a great example. Um, so, so just kind of, all right, so obviously you are, you know, you're a disruptor by nature, which is a really interesting role to play, you know, kind of finding that line between what's acceptable, what's okay and everything. And something that I've noticed in just kind of my research with you and your, your content is kind of the difference between asking for permission and forgiveness. And there's, there is that yep. fine line between the two. Can you elaborate on that and kind of, yeah, how you, how absolutely. You and I'll, I'll give you a, a tangible example. So if you take Uber and Bird, which you mentioned at the top of the podcast here, um, with Uber, when we wanted to get into cities all across the U.S., um, had we waited for every city to say, okay, you're allowed to be here, Uber wouldn't exist today. It would have ran through its money and gone broke and been a, a bankrupt company a long time ago because we knew that the taxi industry was going to fight us at every chance they got. Um, we knew they had lots of politicians in their pockets. And the only way that we could come back at them was with real people, right? I'm sure people listening to this podcast have sent an email or tweeted or done something on behalf of, hey, I want to be able to do ride sharing in my city. Um, and that was the only really weapon we had. So in that case, we said, we're going to beg for forgiveness. We're going to show up. We're going to open up shop. We're going to start getting customers and building market share. And then when they try to shut us down, we're going to ask all those customers to help advocate on our behalf to allow ride sharing to stay. And that's exactly what we did in 384 different markets across the U.S. The book gets into this quite a bit. Um, but contrast it with Bird, where... You know, there is no big scooter that's trying to stop us in the way that there was taxi, right? right? So there are cities where the law is pretty clear. There's no reason you can't operate electric scooters. And in those cities, we launch. Mm -hmm. There are other cities, like here in New York, where the law is pretty clear that you can't do it. And in those cities, we're changing the law. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, A, it's clear that we need to in these cases. And B, you know, we don't have an entrenched interest opponent like Uber had with taxi. So it's, you know, different situations call for different contexts. And that's true for startups and politics. And that, that's true for life, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, sometimes you use carrots, sometimes you use sticks. Um, and you got to just know what which one to use when. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, how has that experience then transitioned to you personally in your personal decision making between, you know, asking for forgiveness or permission? You know, is, is there some kind of relationship? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I tend to be more in the beg for forgiveness camp of things. I have a pretty high risk tolerance, and so I tend to kind of do what I want to do. Sure. Um, but, you know, um, ultimately, I think there's a question of you've got to balance that with treating people respectfully, right? So I'll give you an example. We made an offer for a job to a guy yesterday. I happen to know his boss. Um, I'm not going to ask his boss, am I allowed to hire your guy? Because the guy's a, a pretty human being, right? He's sure. entitled to work or to work. But I also know that if the guy's going to say yes, I better call his boss and sort of explain and say, here's what I'm doing and here's why. And I hope that's okay with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not. I'm still going to do it. Um, but I think it's a combination of doing what you want to do while still being respectful to people as much as you can. And something I've learned is more than getting what they want, people want to be heard. So if you give them a chance to tell you what they think and you listen to it and you take it seriously – you know, all day long, I have to make decisions, right? And all day long, there's competing points of view, people even within my own team, of what I should do. Um, and I think what I need to do is sort of listen to all of them, take it all seriously, and then do what makes sense to me, knowing that I'll get stuff wrong all the time. But I find that if they've been heard, then they're far more accepting of the outcome, even if what they think is not the case, or even if they were right and I was wrong. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of being transparent about it. I mean, like, look, you know, like this is, yeah, this is a collaboration rather than just a one-way street. Totally. I mean, for those of you who, who listen to this and, and, and deal with the media, you know, I have come to learn over time that the best way to deal with reporters is just be totally candid and totally transparent. They typically want to know what happened and why. 
more so than saying, I want the outcome to be this or that. And if you explain, here's what I did, here's why I did it, it succeeded, it failed, whatever it is. But if you can just explain in pretty clear terms as to what actually did happen, they'll usually accept it and they'll be fine with it. So um, I think in all walks of life, uh, the more transparent you are, the happier people tend to be. Yeah, that's great advice. That's awesome. And that's something that I like uh, too. You know, you don't want to deceive people. You want to just be, you know, kind of cards on the table and, you know, just in business, I think that's a good technique. Um, yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, what's the best lesson that you've ever learned? <laughs> that's a really great question, right? Um, you know, there's, there's when I worked for Mike Bloomberg, um, certainly, you know, he had one simple thing, which was just get there before everyone else and leave after everyone else. And it, it sounds really simplistic, but you know, for anyone who has had some success, they will tell you, you know, part of it's due to their, their talent, part of it's due to some good lucky breaks or good ideas, but mainly it's just hard work, right? There's that Woody Allen quote, 90% of life is showing up. Uh, and I think that's right. Um, and at the end of the day, no matter how smart you are, if you don't really put the work in and you're not willing to take some risks and you're not willing to sacrifice, you can't succeed. And if you do all, all those things, even if you have a little less talent, that's okay. You can usually win. Um, and I will say, assuming that the listenership for this particular podcast is a little bit on the younger end, more like your age, it is. I actually now have a no Ivy League millennial hiring policy mm-hmm. in my office. I will not hire millennials out of Ivy League schools oh, wow. because what I found is um, all the talent is there and none of the resilience is there, hmm. right? And like, yeah, there are a few things like curing cancer over at Apple Point probably makes a difference. But in most jobs in life, like it's really about hustle, instinct, street smarts, communication skills, work ethic, integrity, character, and yeah, IQ matters a little bit, or, or talents matter a certain amount, um, but I think in a world where people believe that all that matters are their credentials or their talent, um, and they're not used to failing, and they're not used to being knocked down and getting back up, in the workplace, there are a lot less useful. That's very interesting, yeah, and that, yeah, especially because you're in a position to assess that, and that actually kind of leads into my next question, which is, which is perfect, but yeah, there there is that changing tide in you know what people are looking for from a capability standpoint, almost even a qualification standpoint. Like yeah. the school of hard knocks is equally as impressive as you know an Ivy League school, and there are lessons. Resilience is so critical. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So a perfect transition. Uh, how do you assess potential? You know, as obviously the CEO of Tusk Holdings, and you have a big venture capital yeah. arm. What what kind of qualities do you look for in something to assess potential? It's a really great question. It's funny because we're literally hiring three people this week, so I've been <laughs> thinking about that a lot in the last couple of days. Your timing is really good. Um, I want to see um, a history of working hard, taking risks, trying out new ideas, being willing to fail. Um, I want to hear from your former bosses and colleagues that you're a decent human being and relatively fun to work with because I don't want to work with assholes, and you know most people don't, right? Um, I care, like for example. We're making three offers, like I said, right now. I don't know where any of them went to college. I don't care where any of them went to college, right? Um, that's not important to me. What's important to me is the experience they've had in the workplace, um, the way they treat other people, their willingness to sort of go out there and try things they don't know how to do. So, like, for one of them, uh, one of the college positions we're hiring for, you know, some people might say, well, she doesn't have any pitching experience. Like, you know what? She's really – did you like her when you met with her? Yes. So did I. So she's obviously personable. She obviously has communication skills. She was reported the Wall Street Journal. She obviously knows how to communicate. So figure that part out, right? Um, And it's less around checking a box. Look, I tell you, when I raised my first venture capital fund, 
every LP said, I want something totally different. And we're the only firm that kind of combines politics and, and tech, right? And when I go in there and say, okay, here's how I'm getting access to all these deals that you can't get into because Bird or Coinbase or Circle or Lemonade are going to need my political help and they can't get it unless I also get investment rights. They're like, no, 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 I didn't mean that. Different. Like a different font in the deck. And I learned the people who were going to invest in us didn't need to worry about checking boxes constantly. And the people who were only were checking the boxes were never a good fit for us. And over time, I learned how to try to spot those and not waste my time on the ones that didn't matter. Um, but I think it's really important. Is it's not about a checklist. It's not about how you, your profile looks on Instagram or other people say about you or think about you. It, it's the skills you are. It's the person you are that you have, the person you are, and then communicating that. Yeah. I, again, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. It's it's a holistic view about a candidate, you know, like it, it, for whatever reason, that's the way the tide is shift. And it's an awesome change because it gives more opportunity to people who may not have the opportunity to go to a better school, you know? So yeah, that holistic yeah. lens is, is uh, no, it's, it's just beneficial for and, everyone. And one great thing I will say for the people here thinking about working on politics, in terms of businesses that really don't care, like what your pedigree is, where you went to college, what your grades were, what your ACT scores were or anything else, politics is a great one, right? <laughs> they care about, you know, are yeah, are you sharp? Are you smart? Can you hustle? Mm-hmm. Can you figure out how to get move things and get things done? And if you can, you will succeed. And if you can't, you will fail. Um, so in some ways, it's a great equalizer. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's an equalizer. Yeah, that's a perfect term for it. So, um, cool. All right. So now, just I don't know. Again, you as the person. You know, do you have any like morning routines or night rituals? Or, you know, like what what does that look like? What's a day in the yeah, life? Yeah, a couple of things. So my day is obviously. Uh, pretty varied simply because I have so much stuff going on. My holding company, I'll do a whole bunch of different companies. I've got a foundation, right? Um, but a few things. One, broadly speaking, I've learned that for me to be happy over the course of the week, I need a few different things in my time. I need um, work that I find intellectually stimulating, and sometimes that's that's the campaign. Sometimes that's me working on a column or a podcast or the book. Um, I need stuff that feels fulfilling, so that's stuff I'm doing out of my foundation. It's just like voting or hunger. Sometimes I just like conflict, and that's why political campaigns are so much fun, because they're binary contests, right? Somebody wins and somebody loses, and that's what I need. Uh, sometimes I just need to chill the fuck out, right? And I like, I'll schedule time to go to a Mets game, even if it's on Thursday at 1 p.m. Uh, and I like time with my kids, right? And I, you know, the way I view it is 168 hours in a week. I have to get those things done, uh, plus sleep and eat and exercise a little bit. In that time frame, it doesn't really matter when they happen. They just all have to happen. Oh, so that's one thing. Okay. Two is uh, I never end a work day without uh, every email having been dealt with. So it's either been returned or forwarded to someone else to deal with. Or if I'm not replying, it's because I have a good reason not to. Um, I write a to-do list every night, and it has to be fully done the next day. And then I write the next day's to-do list. Uh, every call has to be returned or dealt with. That doesn't, you know, if I finish all that at say 7 p.m. and I go home, it doesn't mean that nothing else happens the rest of the night. Things keep happening. But I need that clean slate, both for the own peace of my mind, and um, I think also just it helps ensure that nothing falls through the cracks and everything gets done. So that that's really important to me. And you know, in the morning I, I try to have some combination of uh, exercise. I read the New York Times, the New York Post, and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I pray um, and I uh, take my vitamins. And like, if I can do those four things, I feel like I'm in like a decent place. Nice. Cool. Yeah, I, I need to do some research on vitamins. I mean, some people just live by them, and I, I don't know enough. Like, I feel like that's so. Where, where I'll, I'll plug in my portfolio company. It's called Carob. It's a vitamin supplement startup uh, that people really, really like, and it's it, it, check it out. It's it, it's a good way to kind of learn what might make sense. For you. What's it called again? Can you say that again? 
my time at Capitol Hill with Schumer. I spent four years as the deputy governor of Illinois, so lots of crazy stories. I worked for a guy named Rod Blagojevich, who's now serving a 14-year prison sentence. So that was a really interesting four years. Uh, Bloomberg, I was his campaign manager. So the first is kind of just all these crazy stories about what politics are really like. And then the next third of the book is Uber and kind of how Travis and I figured out how to make ride-sharing legal in every market in the U.S. and lots of stories around how we did that in different cities and places all around the country. And the last third is about my venture capital fund and how we try to help startups navigate politics. And it's told through the stories of startups like Lemonade or Handy or FanDuel or Ease or Tesla or whatever it was, where they had a specific political challenge. And here's how we went about it. And sometimes we won, sometimes we lost. The book has examples of both. But the idea is to show people how to think about this stuff, right? Because we're the only fund that does what we do. And I can only invest in a dozen or companies or so at a time, right? So um, that's a fairly limited bandwidth. But I want everyone to have to think about how should I approach these things intelligently? When do I ask for uh, permission? When do I beg for forgiveness? All the things that you just talked about earlier. And so the book is, if you like politics, if you like startups, uh, and you want to learn about different ways of thinking and new intellectual frameworks and approaches, then I think the book's pretty fun. Um, and it, it's pretty short. got really good reviews in the Times and the Journal, so not just my opinion. I think it's four stars on Amazon. So uh, I hope you check it out. Cool. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And I totally forgot that you worked with Ease and FanDuel and like those in Tesla and those other companies because, I mean, those are yeah. equally interesting stories. So, I mean, it's just in itself interesting enough to read the book to check out your experience with those. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to check it out myself. How did you like it? I'm really curious to hear what you thought of the format. Please send me an email to selfimprovementdailytips at gmail.com if you want to hear more interviews like that. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and I'll see you next time. Thanks again for tuning in. This is Self-Improvement Daily.